There was a say In the beginning of time There was a podcast Hi guys, welcome back to Beer Bubbles, the bubbliest podcast in the world. We promise you beer royalty and here it is. At the Stockholm Beer and Whiskey Festival, I actually got the chance to sit down with Steve Grossman, who together with his brother Ken started Sierra Nevada Brewing Company back in 1980. Take a load off and listen to the past, present and future of Sierra Nevada. Enjoy. Welcome back to Beer Bubbles Podcast, the bubbliest podcast in the world, according to us at least. My colleague Rasmus has sadly had to work in the bar at uh, Accra today, but I'm here and I'm sitting here with, I must say this, and I really, really think this, I'm sitting here with beer royalty. And I don't get starstruck often, but first time I met you, I was a bit weak at the knees. Steve Grossman, welcome to Beer Bubbles. Well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Appreciate that great intro. I don't know if I consider myself that, but, but thank you anyway very much. But you, your brother, your company, you were pioneers and still are pioneers. Yeah, I think we were on the forefront because we started the brewery in 1980, really before there was much of a, a craft revolution. Certainly, you know, we had Anchor up in San Francisco and a couple other small breweries, but uh, that was about it uh, back then. When, when the market for craft brewers in, in the U.S. was about a tenth of a percent. Yeah, even if that, there was not much of a market, and the drinkers certainly were not experienced with craft beer or beer that had any hops to it. So it was a, a challenge, you know, getting our, our beer out there and having the consumer uh, taste it and certainly having a limited number of people enjoy it because it was just something that they weren't accustomed to. But Sierra Nevada, tell us a bit about the history of the brewery. You started in eight, 1980, you say? We started in 1980. However, we started as home brewers in the 1960s. So In your dad's garage? In our, in our garage, yes. <laughs> um, but our friend, my best friend's dad, was a home brewer. And that's how we got our experience. And we used to drink uh, his home brewer's kids. And uh, I must say, at a, quite a young age, my brother, I think, was 14, 15 years old when he started homebrewing. I'm a couple years older, so uh, still, even though the drinking age is 21 in uh, California back then, which it is now, we, we flew under the radar, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, the way we did start, though, we used to drink our friend's dad's homebrew quite, quite often, and he didn't feel comfortable brewing for us just because... He had other things to do, so he said, and he told Ken one day, he said, Ken, and you guys, um, I'm going to show you how to brew beer once, and then you're on your own because I don't want you drinking mine anymore. I've got other things. i got my wine to make and other (laughs) beers to do. So that's how we got started, about 1967. And this is in Chico? No, this was in Southern California in uh, San Fernando Valley in a town called Woodland Hills. Okay. 
and actually home to one of the earliest homebrew clubs in the U.S. called oh, the Maltose cool. Falcons, which I was one of the early members, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then we moved up to Chico to go to college, to go to university. You must have been the most popular guys at uni. Well, we were popular because we did continue to brew, and Ken became a little bored with uh, college and decided to drop out and opened up a homebrew shop. And this was in, I think, about 70, 1976. Homebrewing was illegal. Um, didn't become legalized. I think it was until 1978 when Jimmy Carter legalized it. But can open a homebrew shop. And at the same time, I uh, got a good friend of mine. I was racing bicycles, and one of my teammates was interested in beer. I brewed beer with him, and he became very enamored with brewing. Took some courses in London in the U.K., and then came back to California, and I really thought his beer was quite good, so I took him up to Chico to meet Ken. And that's where the idea was hatched to start the brewery. And then in 1978, uh, Paul and Ken started working on the brewery with uh, family, uh, I guess, donations, you might call. <laughs> family investments. Dad, need some money. Yes, <laughs> so came up with some money, and Ken scrounged around and was able to convert used dairy tanks into brewing equipment and we brewed our first beer November 15th 1980 on a 10 barrel system that Ken hand built that's amazing man uh, and last time we talked you were going to retire have you retired I've not retired um, I've been talking about retiring for a while but it's maybe I'll never retire Ken <laughs> says he's retired actually my brother might have retired, but he's probably working more now that he's retired than not. He's just not running the brewery on a day-to-day basis, but working on brewery projects. So he's very, very busy, and we enjoy this business, and I love going around, meeting people, talking about beer, uh, spreading the word. So I might not retire. I don't know. My, my wife asked me if I'm going to. You are the marketing guy. Yeah. I, You're I, the guy... The guy who drinks the beer with the guy who wants to drink the beer. That, I guess that's what I do, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I do enjoy that. And as long as I keep enjoying it and, and have passion for, for beer and for the brewery, I think I'll keep doing it. And this is your third time in Stockholm? This might it? be my fifth, fifth time, time or so, yes, for, at the festival. I think it's a fantastic festival. <laughs> I love coming here. Uh, once again, meeting a lot of people. And what I do find about the drinkers here at this festival is that they are very passionate about beer themselves and ask quite a few questions before they select the beer. And a lot of festivals I go to, people just go to drink anything. What's the strongest thing you have? Exactly. And then when I come here, though, I'm, I'm impressed that they want to get knowledge about the product, about the process, about you know, hops, etc. About you. About the brewery, yes. So, mm. so I enjoy this festival quite a bit. This is the 30th anniversary of the festival. Correct. That's uh, awesome. That's what I heard. That's kind of cool. Very cool. It's been around almost as long as the Great American Beer Festival. I think Great American Beer Festival is now on the well, 40, 40th, I think, this, this weekend, actually. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. So so, uh, so I made the choice to come here instead of a Great American Beer Festival on the anniversary because I just, they're both great festivals. Um, but to get the opportunity to meet drinkers from other countries is, is a great opportunity. So, You guys have always been at the forefront, in my opinion at least. But what I've noticed is that you don't really start trends. 
you go in when trends are there and you go, okay, let's do the right answer. Well, and, well let, 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 me, let, me, let, me, let me talk about that because... You know what? Should we open a beer and we can open we'll, it. we'll discuss it with we a beer in our hands? Beer. What I think we have started trends. So with pale ale, our pale ale, there were no American pale ales really before we brewed ours in 1980. And there were really very few, if any, West Coast-style IPAs when we started brewing Celebration Ale in 1981. So I think we have started trends. And now with so many styles coming out all the time, you might be correct in saying that now we've seen some trends and we've tried to work our own version. I guess one would be the hazy style. Um, Mm -hmm. So... That was a trend that started in the, on the east coast of the States. And yes, we did adapt it to uh, our style of it. And I think uh, it's very challenging now to, I think, start new trends or come up with new ideas because there's so many that have already been out there over the years. So I think we've, we've done both. <laughs> we've started them and then we've tried to, to look at the trends and do our own version of it. Now, and it's always hard to be the coolest guy in, in town all the time, isn't it? It's, it's very challenging, <laughs> yes. It's better to be the best guy. Okay, <laughs> uh, I agree. Yes. I remember uh, a couple of years back, I tried your beer that you did. You did some kind of hop essence in the fields. Yes. Uh, so That was kind of cool as well. Yes, we did a beer... Um, what we did is we, my brother was in the fields and he saw a distill, he saw a unit in the fields. He was with a hop, hop grower. And the guy said, my brother said to the guy, what is that? And he said, well, it's a distillation, steam distillation. He said, that's a mint field over there. And what I'm doing is I'm taking the mint from the field and we're distilling it right in the field for um, chewing gum, for mints. And my brother said, have you ever tried that with hops? And he said, no. So my brother said, let's, let's try it. So we did. We made a beer. So, yes, we've done, we've done some innovation. So we have, we have innovated. We've made the other beer we're trying today is our Torpedo. And we've innovated with that in our dry hopping method where we take whole cone hops and we take them outside of the fermenter and run the fermenting beer through it. And it's sort of like a big coffee percolator. So we did innovate that. So I think we have started some trends in that a lot of breweries now have followed suit and have external vessels to dry hop like that. Yeah. So, Should we say cheers? Because this is, this is actually the first American cheers. craft beer that ended up in Sweden. So mm. This is our pale ale. And probably the beer that did put us on the map. Uh, the bottle condition, 5.6% beer where we feature the Cascade hops. And Cascade hop was a hop that we really liked as home brewers. And it was used by some of the big brewers. Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser used it. But into such a small degree in their beers that you couldn't get the character of the hops, which is... Um, very citrusy, aromatic, and it was a hop that my brother really, really liked, so he devised the pale ale, our pale ale, around that hop. And still to this day, it's 100% Cascade hops, bottle-conditioned, 5.6% alcohol. And I think 
since we're talking about trends earlier, it's really started the West Coast Pale Ale well, to, revolution. Well, to me, this is it's benchmark when it comes to West Coast uh, or Southern West Coast Pale Ales, uh, IPAs. This aroma, this, this flavor is what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Dry, but not overly dry. Loads of citrus, not that much. Well, a little bit of tropical fruit, but not like heavy on mango. Or, no, not or, like right? some of the modern hops today. So yes. it's, it's, no, it's not mosaic. Correct. It, it's, it's like Cascade, Centennial, uh, uh, Amarillo, that clean citrusy mm-hmm. note to, to the hops. Yes. And talking about hops, this beer is 38, I, 38 IBUs, and back then it was pretty... Heavily hops for the, for, the, for the palate. Of course, then the next year we came out with Celebration Ale, which, was, which is 65 or so <laughs> IBUs. And then the year after that, we came out with Bigfoot, which is 90 IBUs. So we were pushing the hop trends, I guess, yeah. way back then. You've grown quite a bit. We have. Uh, from the, what was it? We had a 10-barrel uh, system. The first year we brewed... That's 2,000 liters for you who don't know barrels yeah, size. And the first year we did 800 barrels, and we've grown quite a bit. So we graduated from our 10-barrel system in 1989. We put in a 100-barrel system. In 1998, we put in a 200-barrel system and kept expanding. And then eight or nine years ago, now we built a second brewery on the East Coast in North Carolina. So we have grown a bit over the years, Mm -hmm. correct? Uh, I've got to ask you as well, because... Uh, when I went to CBC, I think it was in 2018, was in Nashville. I went to a seminar about the impact of tap rooms. You have tap rooms at the brewery, on the brewery site. We have one tap room at each brewery, correct? Yeah. Uh, have you noticed that that actually uh, does something for your market in, in the in the? Oh, it's extremely effective in. Getting the word out about our beers, and at our tap rooms, we have several of our beers, not just our our, uh, our daily offering. So it gives people an experience, an opportunity to try all of our beers, and they get to see our breweries, which are you know a great experience to visit as well. And as a matter of fact, our restaurant tap room in North Carolina near Asheville in Mills River, I think, is the busiest restaurant in North Carolina. So we get a lot of people coming through and it's great exposure for us and some people that come through might not be as experienced with Sierra Nevada as the locals would be close to our brewery. So it's a great opportunity for sampling and getting the word out. That's fantastic. You got your ear to the ground in the US. What's happening there trend-wise now? Well, that's a good question. We're trying to... (laughs) What's the next IPA? Because people are looking for the next IPA. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think I talk to a lot of people now, and I think uh, the trend maybe would be for craft pilsners. Again, I think it was it was in the some of it around a few years ago, some of them around a few years ago, but maybe now the time is right. I think it's a, it's a great style, um, and craft pilsners are a style that I really like, I enjoy, and we've, we've made some, and they seem to do very well in our tap rooms. So I'm hoping that's the next style. Um, certainly the style in Europe is lower ABV beers, session beers. I don't know if that's really a trend in the U.S. And I know non-alcoholic beers are a big trend in Europe as well. And I look at the numbers and 
there's talk about it in the states, but there's still not a lot of traction there, not a lot of drinkers. So maybe non-alcoholic beers, but I'm hoping it's pilsner because it's a style I love. Well, traditional beer styles. Correct. Uh, I actually spoke to an American brewer this summer uh, who was over for Brewskeball, and he said, I think the reason brewers are now doing more pilsners is kind of because of COVID. Mm-hmm. They didn't sell as much beer, so they had more time in the maturation tanks for doing proper lagers, proper mm-hmm. pilsners. Yeah. So they had time to mature the beer properly instead of stressing out their products. Correct. You think that could be some part of the truth? Maybe. Um, or is it just that it's hard to make and, no. and brewers like to make hard stuff? I, I don't know. <laughs> I know brewers like challenges, but um, I just think uh, hopefully it's a style that time has come. Well, uh, I only have one, one last question for you, okay. uh, and it's the hardest one. I, I, okay. I did tell you before, you're going to get one hard question. Okay. And this might be the hardest one for anyone who's into beer. You are going to die today, and you can have one more beer, any beer in the world. Oh, that's a really hard question. I know, it's kind of mean, but, it, but it's... So, it's a very hard question, and I've got to say, I'm probably going to pick one of our beers because it's my all-time favorite beer, and I'd have to say that's our Celebration Ale. It just has so much flavor and balanced flavor with the hops and the malts, and it's something that I've looked forward to every year since 1981, and we go out and we get the fresh hops and we make beer like within a couple days with them, and it just... Since I'm a hop guy, it's just the essence of hop. So that's not a fair question because I think that <laughs> I should name someone else's that, beer. That's all right, but if I were, if I name someone else's beer, I might offend those that I don't <laughs> choose. So now this way, when I can say it this way, everyone will be upset with me. So I'm not <laughs> picking any favorites. But that's. But that's a challenging question. And the celebration is actually made last Thursday. We started brewing it two weeks ago two when weeks we got ago, the right? hop harvest in, yes. And so, so it should be ready for release. This, is gonna, this podcast is going to be released in about three weeks. Then we might see things You might see it soon, soon after that, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, Steve. Always a pleasure. And thank you very much for everything you guys have done for the beer business. Well, uh, I take my hats. And we want to thank you and your colleagues for supporting beer as well. We, we pre- if it wasn't for those of you spreading the word, we wouldn't be, and all, all of us craft brewers would have a much harder time of it. So, thank you, Stephen. Cheers. You. Cheers. Well, that's it for this time. Next episode will be all about vintage beers. What's maturable and what's not. Check out our Patreon for extra material and a chance to get a cool Sierra Nevada merchandise. Thanks to our sponsors, Elite Hotels, Bishop Arms, and of course, Accurat, where both me and Rasmus work normally. See you next time, and until then, drink better beer. There was a say, in the beginning of time, there was a book.